uh, dash radio dash talk x uh, we have the founder of black labs the founder ceo um a very smart man indeed got the chance to meet him out in boulder colorado uh, last year and also put on the humans performance summit a really interesting uh leader in business the physical space they have set out there it's this crazy mesh and amalgamation of of technology of human performance of uh gym of sort of everything it's quite a it's a really interesting dynamic, which I haven't seen much before in physical space, and a very smart man indeed. We've only got, we've got a chance to meet last year and reconnect now once again. Ladies and gentlemen, JP O'Brien. How are you, my friend? I'm well, Robert. How are you? Good, mate. So I'll maybe start here for a second. You've had a obviously a pretty interesting life to, to this point. How, when someone says, hey, what do you do? How do you usually answer that? Because you've had a few little jumps and pivots and where you're sort of heading to is definitely different different to most. So how do you how do you describe yourself to the old granny that's sitting on the bus next to you? You know, I haven't taken a bus recently. Uh, <laughs> Not in 2020. Not in 2020. Um, you know, I think for me, I mean, yeah, so my background has been, you know, I, I I was an aerospace mechanical engineer, jumped into entrepreneurship early after three years out of out of college, started my first company in 98, internet company, sold that in 2000, started an investment bank. I knew nothing about investment banking. Uh, I mean, the founder actually called me and said, hey, do you want to start a merchant bank with me? And I said, are we going to be taking credit cards or, you know, and so I, I guess I love this idea of learning and realizing that we can kind of reinvent ourselves based on some skill set. But it's all about mindset, right? So, and and now we're working with elite operators from the military or from uh, sports, and these individuals have been so elite their whole life, right? Ever since high school, they've been elite in some form. They leave their main occupation, and then all, their purpose is blown up, right? It's like they don't have anything, so they come out of that, and they're like, "Now what? Um, what's my life going to be?" And so, being able to build a bridge for those folks in a way, uh, those that want to be bridged, um, has been really inspiring for me during my life. Cause that's the whole thing. It's like pivoting and finding what we're doing. So we're building this ecosystem now around, um, and we'll talk about it more, but yeah, it's like, like you played out, right. We've got a physical node, we call it. That's a combination between creativity and art and technology and human performance. And at that intersection business, um, man, it's a playground for people who are curious and want to create a beautiful future. The, the this ecosystem you talk of, you know, I, I previously you know started and built out a, a network of sort of co-working spaces, and co-working at the time was very new. It was you know how do you take the shell of physical experience for commerce, but then kind of craft and curate a community that exists within it. But obviously within business, you've kind of taken that to the next level with the intersection of art and creativity and science and physical performance. It's very, um, it, it's. It is a mindset that I'm sure a lot of them can all relate together. But, you know, reading on your website, it says, you know, the Black Lab Sports is a sports tech, human tech incubator, an entrepreneur educator, co-working space, and a go-to-market platform. It's wild. Like, I haven't seen that crossover. And I think it obviously always comes down from the top where the person who's leading or starting the thing has a vision of something differently. So when you built a space in its, in its simplest form to start, why did you decide to put a co-working space with art with science, with tech, with physical performance, like that crossover, I've never seen anywhere else in the world. And it's clearly comes out of that flipping crazy, awesome brain of yours. That day when you decided why that intersection of those specific things, because it's a very um, specific 
formulaic thing that you've kind of dreamt in your head. So I'm just really interested to know why that. Yeah. And I got to admit when I first described it about five years ago to my first investors uh, or my first potential investors, they all thought I was nuts. Um, I'm surprised they didn't lock me up. But uh, so the backstory is that seven years ago, um, you know, I had done a lot of different things. I was, I was a headhunter and, and re, uh, recruiter for like Nike. I helped start, uh, was one of the managing or mentors for the Nike plus accelerator. So I'd done a lot of these different things. And honestly, um, I, life gave me that opportunity to sit back and question, right? Like, what is my purpose in life? And what I did is I went down this core purpose search. So that's what I call it now. But at the time, you know, um, I'm just happy I didn't buy the fast red car and like divorce my wife. And right? like, I, what I did was I started reading and I read about these amazing people like Leonardo da Vinci and Einstein and Feynman and Beethoven and Bach. And, and I was trying to understand like what set them apart? You know, what was the differentiator? And I found that there was really two things. It was this mindset that as humans, we can just do about anything that we set our minds to, right? And you've heard this before, turning thoughts into reality. And, and I had done that in my life, but it wasn't with super intention. I mean, I was going after it hard, but I had not decided what to do. It was almost like I was reading a choose your own adventure book, right? If you want to start the company or marry, you know, go slay the dragon, go turn to page 20. It wasn't like, hey, I can put down that book and write my own book. So what the light bulb went off and said, hey, we can actually you know, we can do just about anything. Um, we just have to decide what we want to do. And so what came up for me is when I did my core purpose search, my purpose in life, and I just use these words, is to unleash the greatness of the people around me, which was really liberating for me um, and empowering. So it meant my wife, it meant my kids, it meant my partners. I could be a coach, I could be a teacher, I could do all these things. But what came up was to build an ecosystem of cross-disciplinary, cross-industry, cross-culture change makers. And that happens. So if you think about the Renaissance, for example, that didn't happen just because of technologists at the time. As a matter of fact, you needed creativity. So you needed the artists, you needed the trades people, and you needed everything through the whole cycle. And so I said, well, what that look like? And that's really was the original design is let's have in the very beginning, uh, there's this amazing professor in MIT's Media Lab, uh, Professor Ishii. And he talks about this intersection of these four like legs of a stool. The first leg is art because art challenges the world around us. And so you have to have true, true innovation and inspiration comes from the artists. And the artists can come in lots of different forms. They can come in painters or sculptors. You can also become in you know, different forms, but that's what challenges the world around us. Science describes the world around us. So you have to have scientists and researchers and people doing hardcore evidence-based work. Then technology enables those solutions, right? So that's where the entrepreneurs and the technologists come in. And then design articulates that technology and can make it back into humanity. And the circle goes on and on. So every major change, whether it was Einstein, who was actually inspired by science fiction writers about space time, or you know Leonardo da Vinci, who was kind of an artist, a scientist, and an inventor all through, each of these people, it's never one person usually. It's usually a tribe of people that are kind of kind of creating the potential for that idea and moving it all the way through that cycle. So that was the that was the idea. It was like <laughs> my dad says I just never grew up. And this is my new Lego set. But imagine if I could build a physical place where we had, you know, artists working right next to people who really care about human performance and the longevity and recovery, 
with the elite athletes and elite operators right next to scientists, right next to entrepreneurs that are going to market. And we had a platform to do that. So that was the idea. And, and uh, five years later, we're, we're now launching kind of 2.0 of that. And um, it's been really exciting. So the, what's the business model been for, for 1.0? You've got a commercial, obviously a commercial space. There's people that sit within it. How was the, um, how do you set up the commercial model to kick off with, with 1.0? So we learned a lot from kind of the accelerator model where people were raising funds to take down a physical location to bring in a cohort. Uh, but that physical model had no cash flow model. Um, and that was really difficult because then LPs were saying, well, you have a cohort for three months, but what are you doing for the nine months? Like how, like, I'm just going to be paying you or paying rent. And so that's a tricky model. So people have always been figuring out like, well, do we just rent the space? So what we did is we said, hey, we want a node that's self-contained. So it has to be profitable. So in our case, it's this intersection between art and business and human performance. So we have a gym, we've got trainers that rent, we've got a whole like wellness center. So people come in for massage and dry needling and acupuncture and IV therapy, hormone therapy, stem cell therapy. We've got artist studios. We've got a co-working space. We also have a fund. So we also actually invest in the companies that launch out of here. Um, and then on top of that, what we do is we layer the community. So we have a bunch of scientists and we have a bunch of entrepreneurs and people who care about what's actually happening in this space that will then reinvent and innovate on new technologies to launch new work. So it's kind of like a multi-tiered. So each new node we want to launch will have a, a business model that's self-containing. If there's nothing else, it would work. And then on top yeah. of it is what's interesting about that, you know, that we could actually innovate on. So the, so it, it's um, really similar to a, you know, headly sublease model from a co-working space, but the the subleases within it are a variety of, they don't just have a desk and Wi-Fi. Some of them may have space for their own different products and services across the different verticals, right? Now, I think it's a, a lot of time when people start out with this, you know, these sort of crazy ideas, when you think about what can make it better and how it gets bigger, what's the headspace thinking of what 2.0 looks like physically, virtually, the rest of it? Like what's that... What's the the vision for this next, next play for 2.0 Black Labs? So it's to replicate what we have here in Boulder. Um, we're actually talking to a group out of the UAE. We've got a group out of Switzerland. We've already got some agreements in Boston, where again, each of those locations will have very specific kind of node pieces. So in the UAE, it will be a human performance excellence center, probably the first one in the Middle East. Um, in Boston, it'll be all around life sciences and really hardcore. It's actually uh, working with uh, faculty members in Harvard and uh, MIT. And so we'll have a lab there. We can do hardcore research. Um, the one in Switzerland is also around, it's partially around consciousness and kind of up-leveling, um, actually uh, really interesting area near a ski resort. Um, and even, even one maybe down in Costa Rica where we can even do a little bit more retreat stuff. So you can imagine these nodes around human performance or human tech, that's mind, body, heart, spirit, um, that already have a really interesting retail for the populace retail concept. It's like CERN, right? So CERN, we smash particle to get particles together and then we have a bunch of scientists and entrepreneurs looking at all the data and saying, oh my gosh, I can kind of create a new invention or find something new about those particles smashing together. Well, we want to do the same thing with humans, right? We kind of want to smash humans together in whatever environment we're putting them through and then be yep. able to learn from that and innovate. Um, we're talking about the, the other day with someone being an energy architect. 
to be able to mm. craft and curate those experiences for those moments to happen where you know the ceo meets the scientist or the the student or whatever that may be so you know you kind of curate that space and it's um we're talking about uh with him how tony shea from zappos who recently passed he was exactly like that but he wasn't extroverted and his whole thing was how do you craft an entire ecosystem environment that he would create in his head but then sit in the background and literally not be the you know center of attention for all of it but still comes from that same thing of how do how do you create more good experiences for others and it's that that sort of curation piece but going off that back to the the business model from it so if you've got the the node you know that you call them and it's self-contained and, and self-funding and whatever you obviously got the upside of the layer from their own fund with potential equity investments and these things as well but as these nodes start dropping around obviously you know if you go to you know, whether there's one in New Zealand and it's more around, you know, clean tech and health and food or whatever it may be, and you hit different parts of the world. In your in your brain, when you look at the world, which I'm sure you probably see it probably visually different to both, do you see these nodes representing different parts of human performance in the like geographically that has better um more skill sets or capabilities in each one? And then how's the thinking of after these nodes expand to then connect them remotely? Because that's obviously, you know, in your one node now, there's, you know, 10 different little sectors, but in other parts of the world, there might be more or less stronger, weaker. How do you see that, that or get the, the natural organic merge happening between these modes globally as this thing rolls out? Because that's a pretty interesting thing you'll have to navigate in terms of the talent and, and opportunities that exist within all of them, right? You're going to have to be a global creator of good. <laughs> no pressure. Yeah. Yeah. So it starts with mindset, right? And we have a, we have an abundant mindset. We have an exponential mindset, right? And these things of being thinking that there is no, there is no scarcity here. So the world, like we have to stop thinking like one person's going to own like this space. And I think having an abundant mindset, thinking that change makers, like there is no lack of opportunity. Right? As a matter of fact, we probably have Many of, your, many of your guests probably feel this way. They have an abundance of opportunity. It's like, what should I focus on? Um, mm -hmm. Not the vice versa. So um, we don't see competition as bad. We see these nodes as really working together. And, and the local part's really important because we want local entrepreneurs. We want local you know, elite operators. We want local investors, local researchers, local artists to be part of these nodes. It's not like we want to have it all here in Boulder, Colorado and have one mind melt, right? It's not about that. And that, that's also, that leads into the next piece, which is culture. Like I want to go and spend months in the UAE and understand their culture. And I don't know them well enough. And I think that that's from a globalization perspective, really the connecting piece. I guarantee you that, you know, um, the scientists in China and me would get along very well. And I guess our kids would play in this playground just fine, right? But the question is when we have these cultural differences, instead of saying that's wrong or that's right, how do we understand them and start to go across that? Part of that, you grew grew up you know, overseas, I did as well. And, and I think trying to make that be a, a kind of an expectation of our scientists. One of our one of our members is um, from NASA and he and he learned a ton just from be talking and interoperating with some of these folks globally, that he had a very different perspective of exactly what they were, how they would see certain problem sets. And, and just the times of working together has changed his, mi his mindset on how they think. And so I think that's in the last piece, I guess, is your connected piece, which is the data. You know, we do work with the uh, DOD and other areas. And imagine, so there's something called the TRL, which is technology readiness level. And areas 
investors like DARPA are looking for brand new technology. You know, they they invested in GPS before it even existed, right? The first version was the size of a, you know, two rooms and you know, the idea, the idea was just, I want to be able to tell an operator where they are in the world anytime without any radio connectivity. Like, how do I do that? Do I look at the stars? They're like, oh, let's look at the satellites, right? And then, so that's TRL zero. And then when, as it gets further along during the process, um, you know, eventually gets to TRL nine, which is where we are today. And everyone has GPS on their phones and they have a million apps that can use that. And you're like, wow, it's revolutionary. Like I know exactly where I am and now everyone knows where I am if I want to do that. Um, so along the way, when we talk about humans and cohorts, people have interest in different TRL levels. So if you're in charge of the Green Berets, you want things to be TRL seven or better. Like you're not going to give your guys, you know, um, TRL two that's going to break in the field. Um, but if you're a university doing some research, you might want TRLs three and four, right? So what we're trying to do is connect people to where they're at. Instead of saying everyone's the center of excellence, saying, okay, where do you want to kind of access this new technology, these new inventions? What's your input? What's your cohort? And how do we get as much data back out to the whole community? Yeah. I was, I always come, everything probably comes back to sports to me as well. I was just riding down there, you know, as these roll out, you're talking about local talent, then, you know, you're essentially this you know human tech coach which has got to pick the, the best talent to, that is best curated for those spaces right and you obviously need the nuances of those local cu cultures to understand the the context for all the different bits and pieces for what you want to build um it will the the fund roll out globally as well to these other different nodes where you partner with other people like obviously so far to date you've obviously you know done well for yourself and you've invested into this sort of idea um as it goes bigger what's the sort of potential equity model or play that you're thinking about when all these new technologies and new ideas and stuff sort of come through how, how does that sort of play out in your head yeah so we see the funding in kind of uh three different tranches first tranche is we call it the node node fund so we're actually raising a pretty significant round to launch these nodes um, locally. And so those will be investors locally in those different parts. Or some will be government investors, some will be just large kind of individual impact investors who really understand the big play there. Uh, the second part is a true typical portfolio fund. So based on those ideas or companies that spawn out of those places, how do we seed fund those and carry on fund those? Uh, and so those will eventually have their own local funds and then the last thing is kind of like almost like a a fund of funds, if you will. We'll, we'll want to seed those funds and help give best practices into how do you raise your first $20 million into a local fund in New Zealand, right? And, okay, mm -hmm. this fund is going to be, you know, 80% funded by local people, 20% uh, maybe from, you know, the mothership. Um, and But that kind of, there's a connectivity there. Uh, there's best practices there. Maybe we send over an MD for six months to kind of like help launch things. Um, maybe there's already somebody who's moved over there who's the perfect person or who's the culture up yeah. there. Yeah, right. So the, the idea is is um, we do want to fund it through, but we do believe that uh, the distribution model is to eventually enable local communities, whatever kind of intellectual density they have or whatever kind of skill set density they have to really shine with that and then let all the other nodes be able to participate and benefit from that. How do you sell this to people when – you're talking to these investors, so obviously they they would probably have a better understanding of what a WeWork is and what high performance is. How tricky is the 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 world of, of finance and these these things being like? How much education do you have to do to others around what you're trying to build? Because I'm imagining it's not an easy sell. 
it's not a, it's not a good sell to somebody who's looking, um, who's uh, an associate in a fund that has a investment thesis um, around something, whether it's, you know, industry focused or uh, theme focused around some kind of, so for example, if your job is to potentially invest in online betting um, and because uh, you think that's going to be a base return, like we're probably a very bad uh, match for you. You know, I think what we're seeing is the people who really care realize that um, this concept of profitable impact where by helping a billion people, that's the best way to make a billion dollars uh, is the way to go. And so um, I think we, we talk about, we talk very openly and honestly about our purpose and the purpose that we're going after. And it's very quickly, it's, it's almost binary. People are like, man, that's really refreshing. I can't wait to have this conversation. Let's dig in deep or I don't get it. Uh, move on. And I, and I think that's really been helpful to us to actually uh, identify good investors. You were talking about before JP, the, your, um, the stall of four and you had it was art, science, technology, and the last one was design. Sorry. Um, I watched a, uh, keynote from the first ever, um, employee at, uh, Beats by Dre that, um, Jimmy Iveen hired, uh, Emily, I forget it for her last name. And she had this three di- diagrams of these circles. And it was this, the new intersection of, of what creatives need to be for the future. And she had, um, technology, she had business and creativity and it's an intersection and her, her essential th- overthought was, Amazing creatives in a room without commercial sense is flipping stupid. Amazing technologists that don't have an idea is dumb. And amazing tech that doesn't know how to sell it is also dumb. And she kind of just went on this huge thing. And it, her um, her sp- speech was called The 99 Problems with Advertising. It was so good. It was just like yeah. she just ripped everything. It was great. But when you talked about the four stall there, you've got, you know, art, science, tech, and design. And then you look at hers and she's got, you know, uh, technology and creativity similar, but then she's got the commercial side. So... Um, I was trying to ask what's what's a five-legged stool because you obviously need to add the the commercialization for for all of this somehow with it as well. When you um, what's your brain? How do you think about trying to commercialize creativity? Because in a nutshell, this stuff's not cheap. This rolls out, but creatives aren't usually commercial. I'm lucky. I'm kind of half and half. I have lots of great ideas, but I kind of understand a bit of this, and I can at least see it kind of from both sides and a bit of tech. But in no way am I the expert. How how does your head? work through commercializing creativity for, for good. Yeah, timely. We just had a, so we, we moved our human performance series online temporarily, of course. Um, and we're doing a forum. So the last one we just held, um, the challenge out to the community was, um, so the idea is that artists, for whatever reason, whether they're empaths or, you know, they're basically the ones that when the world is struggling, when humanity is struggling, they're the ones that kind of identify the problem first. And sometimes it's not even like we feel awkward, like you see the art and we're like, or we, you know, the music comes out and we're like, ah, it hurts my ears, right? Like we don't get it at first, the rest of us. Uh, but they're the ones kind of like leading the charge. They're the canary in the coal mine, right? And so what I did is I brought all these, you know, everything from Lieutenant Colonels in the Green Beret to uh, entrepreneurs to investors together. And we listened to the artists and we said, Hey, what are the problems you're seeing in the world? Like, and so they literally went through their studios and they talked about one talked about you know, basically connection and, and being disconnected and, and what that, and then if we could create connection, what would that look like? What would that feel like? If I could create a piece of art, the sculpture that was, you know, bigger than, a, you know, a building and I could walk into it. Could I feel connection? Could I see connection? So she described all of that 
and it really lit up the room as far as like, oh, wait a minute, like I can, like what would connection mean to my employees, to my customers, kind of like Tony, right? Like he did an amazing job at that. Like he connected people like no one else. And then the second artist was, was an abstract painter and he was talking about personally how when he was going through this COVID thing in, in March where he got super depressed and, and scared and fearful. And, and the question was, why in uncertainty do we default to like fear and closing down and freezing? And that was a really interesting right? question. Yeah. yeah. Right. And, and so we explored that. And so I'll just give you an example. A senior executive in Under Armour was on the call and, you know, and she said, wow, this is really inspiring. Like we need to be a purpose-led company, not a product-led company. And I'm going to take that back to leadership and let's talk about like the purpose of connecting or the purpose of not letting fear control, you know, being frozen. And it was really interesting conversation. So that's how, when we think about artists, we're trying to say, hey, these are the folks that are asking the tough questions, right? The technology is the one are, are threw down the loop. I'm a technologist, so I can say that, right? Mm. Um, but I need to listen. I need to surround myself with artists so I can actually kind of wake up and be like, what, are, what should we really be questioning? Well, art is offense, you know? Um, yeah. In the commercial real estate space in New Zealand anyway, and I'm sure it's around, a friend of mine is up the food chain in one of the big companies. When all this stuff happened, I said, hey, so what's going to happen with all this commercial real estate shit? Like, how's this going to play out? And he goes, mate, it's offense and defense. Every single millionaire is just clenching their fists and in pause mode on defense. And every single billionaire is looking at like it's about to go to work and they're going on offense. And he was just saying, depending on where your level is with your mindset, with how you were approaching it, is if you're on offense or defense. But, you know, if you look at yeah. the, New Zealand had a bit of a, and probably all around the, the world too, when, you know, when the lockdown comes in, a lot of people it's time to reset and refocus and reimagine and reflip and everything. And then they came out of it a little bit, most of them, and went back to business how it was done. 1.0, bunch of different standups, no virtual, but whatever these things may be. And then there was this little bit of a dip of like, wasn't this supposed to be our reset where we could see what was more in the future? And it's like, no, no, because no, you've got a bunch of decision makers that are on defense, not offense, because they're not creative or entrepreneurs or artists or whatever. So I think your point is exactly right, JP, that artists are on offense. And when you put, you know, there's always, I have this thing where I say, you know, innovation is the byproduct of bravery, where if we're all sitting here in the same pod and we're going to go, let's go innovate, let's go try and do some shit. It's like, okay, great. But to leave the pack means you have to have the internal bravery first to not care what the other person thinks, to know that you believe in the mission, to know you believe in the, um, in the product or the service with what it can be. And then you go off to the side and everyone's like, oh, stuff that guy, what's he up to? He's crazy as shit. Right. And then they create. And that is where innovation comes from. It, it is like, I, I thought about it as it's external execution after, after there is internal empowerment. And no one that's ever innovated has never done it without believing in themselves first, internal mindset, bravery. So, you know, I always laugh a little bit when I hear some of these companies talking about innovation and shit, and they've got a bunch of B players that are on defense with the handbrake on. And the ones that they should be listening to are the ones that are on offense that don't give a shit. They want to go, go, go and push. So I think there is something definitely intrinsically deep down in those, in the minds of artists and creative. And for me and the world that I've seen, there's a similar, maybe it's a mental switch or whatever it is, but it exists that I've seen within elite sports people, ex-military and SAS and like super gnarly CEOs. And I don't know what it is, 
but within the action sports world, everyone who's a pro, they all have a mutual respect for others because I think they've mentally been, physically been to places which not many, 1% of, 99% of the other world don't know. Then when I think about that sort of mindset thing, there is something, there's something that clicks maybe in there. Have you, what's this mindset that you think tr- that, that flows across your en- entire world that exists that, um, that other people don't quite understand? Because it's very tough for me to try and describe what it's like when I see something a different way, if I've been onto a top of Ridgeline, could have almost died, or if I did something like this, you know, how do you, how do you navigate the mindset of all these kind of crazy, weird and wonderful people that are actually the ones that are supposed to save the planet as you wish? <laughs> Holy cow. Okay. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Well, first, yeah, I totally know what you mean. This is, I love this question. Um, first of all, learning a ton, right? Every day about these amazing people around. Um, I will say this, that humility uh, is is a key ingredient, right? Because you are elite in one thing, especially, you know, you mentioned SAS or military and um, in athletics, and you had this huge ego your whole life. And then you come out of that, you know, nothing, but but you can't know nothing, right? In, in the sports world, you're worth, you know, everyone thinks you're worth millions of dollars, even if you're not. Um, and so you're supposed to know everything. So how could you possibly go into a, an investor meeting and be like, what is, what is, you know, an S, SVP mean? Like, what does that mean? Like, so the, the problem is like, people have to really get out of their ego. And so this has a lot to do with consciousness, right? And I think that most elite people have kind of come to this understanding. They have a secret inside where they understand the world in a certain way. And then they have a secret outside where they behave a certain way in order to, you know, basically win at the equation of business. Um, and I think that that's in a really interesting mindset. And so what we're trying to do in one essence is we're trying to people get curious about that and to understand those different kind of modes where you can kind of come into it and be, you know, kind of, and again, I, I've kind of lived in my own life. I've had to be humble many times where I go into an industry and I know nothing about it. And instead of being like, I'm the man, I'm like, I'm a newbie. Tell me everything. Have that beginner's mind. We started a bank. Um, so I'm sure he learned. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I closed our first deal and, you know, here's a guy who was a CTO, you know, coder and all of a sudden I'm, you know, negotiating with, you know, a multi-billion dollar company out of New York City and had no idea what I was doing. But um, I think when I guess the I guess the other thing is that purpose is to me, um, I keep on hitting on that, but man, I think the people who, um, you know, there's a magic when somebody is not doing it for uh, whatever they're doing is not doing it for, you know, an outcome of money or paying the bills or where it's something so deep and energetic that they would literally live and die for whatever they're doing. Um, mm. And then like, you can make any mistakes. Like those are, they don't matter. You can look stupid. That doesn't matter. You know, you can fail six times. That doesn't matter because what you're working on is so important. Um and that's a really hard thing for our society to kind of get their minds around because we're indoctrinated with what we should be doing. I mean, look, you didn't get to pick where you grew up for your dame or where you went to first school. Like, when did you finally get to start deciding and actually recreating that? And I think that's something we got to flip for for these people. Or a lot, a lot of the people that do really well have already flipped that. One of the uh, – there's a crew that I'm involved with back in New Zealand. It's called the Black Club of all things because obviously in New Zealand we've got the All Blacks and New Zealand's colors black. Um, and it's around uh, helping some of these ex-professional athletes sort of safely evolve out of who they were in sport to out of it. And 
we had a catch up and then, you know, we're talking about these professional All Blacks and cricket players that have won World Cups and, you know, just elite, just legendary New Zealand sports people. And every single one, we all had the same thing of how do I take this bottled up energy outside of my outlet that existed within the sport when I physically don't do that anymore. And it's very easy to see, you know, one of them that they, you know, went down a path of, you know, um, substance abuse and yada, yada, yada. And now they've found themselves in a purposeful space where their energy around uh, teamwork and camaraderie and, and people management and, and glue and, and that whole thing is really sort of unlocked, unlocked that there. Um, when they come out, they feel lost because they don't have purpose, you know, and, and I think before you said JP, was it the, your core purpose search, right? Is that, did you make that up? What, what is, break that, what does that mean? Because I, I know if someone said around, what's your purpose? I can't articulate it into a, you know, I exist and I float, but I'm just generally thinking of like, did you, is this some like secret ninja shit I need to start to get into? What is this core purpose? Is this like a Google website? Like where do I, where do I find my, <laughs> where do I sign up? <laughs> totally. Yeah. No, yeah. I was going to ask you what your purpose is because the last time I met you, I think we chatted a little bit about it, but um, I, no, well, I have, I have th three things. Mine is like, I want to create things I'm proud of. I want to scale value to empower others and I want to enjoy the ride. So it's not a purpose. It's just more mm -hmm. in my head, the way I think of it is, you know, if I'm putting my time into something, I want to be creating, but if I'm creating, it wants to be something that I'm proud of. Not just like I ticked the box and did some dumb shit, like whatever. It, so you feel pride in your time. So you don't have regret. So, and then scaled value to empower yeah. others where I can't, if I've got the headspace to potentially help a million why would I, I can't do one-to-one -one coffees with a million people. It's unscalable with technology. We can do more. So how can you be smarter to try and do that and then have fun along the way? Because, you know, if I'm not smiling and doing cool shit, I'm like, stuff this, <laughs> like I'm yeah, out. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's not, it's maybe it's not a purpose, but I was just interested with that because it, I wrote that at about a couple of years ago after I had a bit more options and I was moving around trying to do some shit. Um, when you, so core purpose search, did you come up with this? What's the, Give me the insight to that because I'm just yeah. genuinely intrigued. You know, I did. I after search after doing my own search for a year, I found a lot of other groups that kind of talk this way. Not not quite exactly the same terminology, but they're you know they're definitely rhymes. But here's the thing: for me, it was about the first initial curiosity was just that, right? Like, hey, I've been successful in my life, both you know personally, business wise, but like, what am I really here for? Like, what truly, like, what am I here for, right? I think Mark Twain said it, right? Like, which was, there's two most important days in your life, the day you were born and the day that you find out why, <laughs> right? Mm. And so the why is super important, kind of a Simon Sinek type of focus. Um, what blows me away is 99% of us have, don't take the time to, like, address that. And even if we do, we don't change our lives to, like, align with that. I met with this amazing woman entrepreneur, super successful. Um, she was interviewing for Techstars. So as part of that organization, they had me interview her. And she said, uh, so I asked her what's her purpose. She's like, oh, my purpose is really clear. I want to help underprivileged uh, women and, and girls uh, in Africa. I was like, wow, that's amazing. I was like, so now tell me about your business. She's like, well, it's this 3D um, video surveillance thing in stadiums to help you know stadium owners know if the employees are like, taking a cigarette break or something. <laughs> and I said, that's cool, but how does that relate to your purpose? And um, and she's like, well, it doesn't really, but you know, it, but pays it gives the me money to help. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, well, 
I would recommend, I mean, look, look at who you are, look at how successful you are, apply 100% of that to your purpose. Wouldn't that be more fulfilling? So I think that's the, the piece. And so what we've done is we've tried to program it. Uh, so if you come into Black Lab, you can come to Black Lab Sports slash join. So there's a couple of things. One, we try to provide interesting content. So if you're interested about human performance and how to help the human body, you know, whether it's through nutrition or sleep or other areas, uh, actually perform optimal and recover optimally and have longevity, well, we want to be able to provide you that content curated to you. So if you're just curious, and then if you really want to be part of our membership, if you will, which is being more active, being part of our summits, then you can join us. And it, that's that's a group that we're growing, obviously. We're about 400 right now. And it's really around, I mean, here's the deal. Um, we have people from Harvard Medical School. We have people from NASA. We have people from the Green Berets. And it's not that their organizations are bad. They're fantastic. It's just the culture is set up where they're kind of like stay in your lane, stay in your lane. And they don't have these conversations daily. So by having a tribe of people who are like, well, no, let's question what individual's purpose is. And let's move there. You know, maybe it's in your current job or a different organization. But but the idea is that most of the time people aren't leaving the organizations to like jump into Black Lab Sports company. They're just joining this community of people who want to work together to solve really interesting problems. So when I look at the ecosystem of those that have a vision or a mission or something, the, the 1.0 model is I've got a shit ton of Instagram followers, join my group and I'll sell you some courses, right? Um, that's kind of the copy paste thing. But when I, here the collective it almost feels like black labs is it's almost you know media network for a vision around documenting unleashing human potential right and then the physical space is the holy grail i i can't wait to go visit there one day it's the statue of liberty it's the thing it's the whatever but it feels like just the minds that exist around you maybe just totally jumping top topic a little bit but i realized a while ago that i can't sit down with a thousand young high school kids that want to get into business for a coffee, but I can do a one minute video and I can chuck it on Facebook or social or whatever. And it gets out. What's your headspace been around sort of scaling the value of this thinking that exists within your community out into the ecosystem? Maybe more of a marketing question, but I'm just intrigued because I know, sure. I'd like to talk to a fucking NASA dude, some shit. Like what's your, um, yeah. what is your marketing strategy for black labs to, ex to extend your yeah. message to the world? JP. <laughs> So I'll use Metcalf's law, right? Which is we're we're the we're basically our value is the the square of the nodes. So you remember back in like the internet days, and then before that the telephone, right? It wasn't like hey, let's create one massive centralized node, and everything launched out. So I'm not a massive centralized node. We're creating square of the nodes. So the way we scale is by, for me personally, I want to inspire, activate, and hyper enable these change makers. And your purpose may be to inspire and activate these high schoolers. Well, great, I don't ever have to get in front of a high schooler. All I need to do is unleash your greatness. And as we kind of move down that nodal concept, that's that's the scale. Mm. Um, so it's not, you know, so again, going back to the local concept, right? If I'm in New Zealand or if I'm in UAE, let's have those local leaders and inspirational, uh, you know, activators uh, get in front of the local and saying, hey, we can do this together. And this is about humanity. I mean, we've got the nice thing is that we've created our own problems, right? We've got a lot of good problems to solve. <laughs> we've got totally. we've got climate change, we've got inequality, we've got healthcare, we've got all these things. I mean, granted, we're better than off than ever, 
globally and as a human as a species. Um, but we've got a lot of really hard problems to work on. So if we want to work on these wicked problems, uh, my my hope is to build a tribe of you know in our and again our, we're selective around these kind of evidence-based science entrepreneurs that are really working on you know it is the future of performance and and whether that's mind body heart or spirit consciousness so it's um mm-hmm. and the way i scale is by having really smarter people around me and, and letting them and helping them do what they're doing because the guy in nasa man super brilliant but he's pigeonholed right the person in medical harvard medical school brilliant but also the culture is not right exactly to have him scale. Mm. So the, do you have like a, a black lab studio, like live podcast thing there? You interview people to do, do podcasts, a show. Do you do like, how do you create content out of there? It just feels like you've just got story after story from all over the show around thought leadership and all these different spaces. Yeah. I give us, I give us low marks on that. Uh, we're, we're building that up. Um, we've got, uh, we've got great stories We've been doing mm-hmm. mostly in, in kind of summits and online conferences and sharing to our community. Uh, we're just partnering with a company right now where we've got an AI technology backend that's helping us curate some of like, so for example, let's say you're a scientist and you've just been working on this amazing longevity solution and you came out with a new paper. We're able to actually go in and keep an eye on you and be able to highlight you. So these are the things that our community is interested in, is like who else is making breakthroughs in this space? Um, and so we are going to be launching some of that in 2021 along with our membership. Dude, that sounds, sounds mega. When you think of, um, legacy, what does that word mean to you with what's in your head now to what you've built so far to what you think you can do in the next 50 years? Yeah. Legacy is an interesting one. I know it's a real motivator for a lot of folks. Um, I don't, I don't really, it doesn't seem to like impact me as much for some reason. Um, but I will say like next 50 years, I totally agree. I mean, we we're at a, we're at the point, I don't know if you've read David Sinclair's uh, recent paper out of um, Harvard medical school, but talks about basically, you know, reversing aging. And we're at this point right now where there's no doubt, um, you know, people in their forties and fifties are probably going to live to 120. And so, uh, yeah, and our kids probably will maybe have the choice to like, you know, decide when they turn off, right? Um, so like we're in this radically, and it, by the way, that scares the pee out of my son, right? <laughs> he's, a, he's a 17 year old senior in high school. He's like, wait a minute, that doesn't make any sense. That's not fair. So these are really hard ideas for society to get around, but the science is is now literally showing these capabilities. So. I think it's a really interesting time to think about what does that mean? And for me, I guess if I think about legacy or if I think about my dent in the universe, it'd be up-leveling consciousness, right? If we can kind of think about consciousness as a skill and as a global tool, man, that would be, I, I would love to be in that arena of somebody who could kind of help move the needle there. Up-leveling consciousness is quite a massive, insanely big jump from, you know, I sold, I sold tires in a family store in Wisconsin. You know, it's like, I'm going to up-level consciousness for the world. How many, what percentage of people when you talk to, like clearly your headspace around, you know, mindset and um, self-awareness and, and um, unconsciousness is, you know, you're the, the top 1% of, you know, future woke brain cool shit. What percentage of your circle 
truly gets it the way you do. Do you feel lonely with your thoughts or you feel at home because you're surrounded by a bunch of other, um, what the world would call potential either crazies or out there's or super brains or whatever it may be. Are you lonely or you feel like you've got a tribe mentally? Yeah, no, I've got a, I've, I've got a great tribe, but it's taken a while to build. I do believe that it's kind of, um, you know, it, listen, it's a luxury, right? It's a privileged luxury, no doubt to be able to kind of, uh, worry about consciousness versus, you know, there's a lot of people struggling right now just to keep their restaurant alive or, you know, um, get their kids to some school or something. Right. So, um, but by the way, it's consciousness is also available for, you know, is also super important to them. So I guess the, the truth is that um, this is for the person who's curious, this is, this is a rabbit hole. They get really curious. They want to learn more. And they, it's, it's like peeling back onions. Um, people get really, cause then it's not just something I go to on Sundays, right? This is something no. that's literally every day. It's with every relationship. It's every time I wake up in the morning, it's, you know, in between meetings it's, and so it becomes this, um, just this process. And, and I gotta tell you, like, and then we have really fun journeys together because we, we can play at that level of, of that consciousness, even with, you know, the struggle of the world, the current events. I was going to ask maybe random down this when you're talking about, you know, not human biohacking or, or human tech and stuff. There's been a lot of talk in the Valley and stuff around these uh, sort of micro dosing and all that stuff as well. I haven't done too much digging into it, but from where you see, what's your, what's your sort of take on, um, on micro dosing or putting your brains into different sort of states under controlled conditions to make you think differently or whatever it may be. Um, what's your, what's your take on that new wave of energy or, or I don't know if it's, good or bad yet but what's your take on that yeah um again i will say i'm a newbie in this area but been exploring it for about four years now um mm. just had a podcast with uh christian Aguemeyer, who's one of the, the lead investor in compass and a tie life sciences they're basically and also jr ron who runs MindMed. these guys are building companies that are taking basically psychedelics and are making uh, new medicines that are 100% around mental health. And these are attacking some of the biggest wicked problems we have today. That's opioid addiction, that's PTSD, that's depression, suicidal depression. I mean, these are trauma, you know, dealing with deep, deep trauma. Um, and these are human, true problems that humanities are facing. And the problem with psychedelics is that back, you know, in the 60s, we didn't have the other side of technology and data to understand what's going on. And it kind of got out of, you know, basically got out of control. And so the government stepped in and said, hey, let's just make all this stuff illegal. But before that, these natural substances, whether it be like, you know, psilocybin or ayahuasca or peyote, these have been around the earth in part of our diet for as long as humans have been around. There's a lot of good theories if you want to read about them, like we actually became human partially because of psychedelics, right? We came, we had creativity and imagination because we were eating these crazy little mushrooms and we could talk, <laughs> but the idea that we've eliminated this from our entire kind of culture uh, in just the past 76, 50 years, 70 years, and now it's coming back and it's like so forbidden. Again, that's just doesn't make any sense. So I think the work that's being done in the science, and this comes everything from DARPA. DARPA had a great study uh, just last year researching psychedelics for, again, PTSD uh, and trauma uh, recovery. Uh, there's more, a lot more work in the DOD right now. Um, there's a ton of veteran work being done. 
There's, there's a lot of work coming out of pro sports, both hockey and football, around how psychedelics can actually rewire and fix the brain after a, a massive set of concussions. So these are just molecules that help our body to do something. So in that realm, we are at TRL, remember the technology level? We're yeah. kind of at TRL like you know three or four. We may not be mainstream yet. We may not be nine, but for sure, this is technology that's worth exploring, worth putting a lot of effort into to understand it so it's not scary, so we don't do something that's harmful to humanity. Um, and listen, I don't microdose. I, I've heard people that do that. Um, I don't know. I don't have the answers to that because we probably don't have enough data. I've heard everything from you know Steve Jobs and and others who are having these amazing breakthroughs um, based on you know psychedelic experiences. So I think it's worth studying, and that's so we're trying to support people across the board in that area. Again, whether it's there's another company uh, or nonprofit I'm a part of, you should check it out. It's called Unlimited Life Sciences, and I'm an advisor on their board. Um, these guys are partnered with John Hopkins. It's a very simple study. What they're doing is anybody who's about to take a psilocybin uh, trip to go in and sign up anonymously to take their survey. And the idea is the more people we can have take that survey, it's almost—it's like then we can start to prescribe or show kind of what works and what doesn't work, mm. right? So, hey, you know, this set of scenarios is really bad. It doesn't, it doesn't lead in a good trip. This set of scenarios for you personally seems to be like a really good experience and you may get a lot out of it. Without that sort of data, how do we actually move forward with this sort of science? Well, it just seems very clear if you look at the legalization of marijuana across all the states, the growth of CBD into this billion-dollar behemoth, the taxes that are coming through, the the wave of kind of general mainstream awareness, or maybe more general acceptance and not potentially as looked down upon within that one wave. Not that it's opened the floodgates, but it's pretty clear that um, public perception of what was deemed as, oh, my gosh, that's the absolute worst thing ever, we should not even touch or look at it, is starting to shift the other side just you know step by step i was just wondering you know from um a new zealand perspective you know we just had a referendum and they they said no um for uh, legalizing that but they did say yes for the, the euthanasia bill um but yeah i i wonder about um it's clear that's not going to be as taboo of a subject go forward, especially when the sciences and tech gets involved because it gets cleaned up pretty quick. And if you look at what happened, the way they've, you know, changed customer experiences with um, with the weed stuff now, it's like professional. I mean, shit, they had the, was it the Tyson Roy Jones fight was sponsored by Weed Maps. And you're like, how did this happen? And then you're watching like Snoop Dogg's smoke a joint on pay-per-view live in the middle of Staples Center. I'm like, man, our world has gone wild. But I guess, you know, to be fair, in the world in the year 2020, there's a lot crazier shit which we've seen happen. Um, before we go, I wanted to talk, jump back into one little thing that you talked about before of um, bell, uh, you know, balloting, battling ego and humility. Um, you know, you're older than myself. Um, I know that it's something that I've struggled with, especially in my early 20s when you're on the come up and you're full of testosterone. You want to just rip the face off everything, just destroy and dominate and take on the world. And, you know, you hit 30 and you start realizing that the world's a bit bigger and you actually don't know as much as you do. Then you have a couple of kids and you realize, oh shit, time's actually important in relationships, you know, and you get to these sort of spots here. But I've always had this thing that I've, and maybe it's just more of a question for myself, which is I enjoy doing these is separating confidence in yourself's ability when no one else has believed in you to go and achieve and try and do what others say is crazy, but you know, you can do versus ego of on the flip of man, stuff you get out of my way. How has your energy been with navigating ego and confidence? 
to get humility? Yeah, one of my one of my favorite reads is Ray Dalio's book Principles. Um, I don't know if you've read that, but um, you know he does. He, so he's got a meritocracy in uh, Bridgewater. Um, you know, the most successful hedge fund I think ever. And what he talks about is a couple of things in this area. One is um, know who you're listening to, right? So once you start to have a tribe and instead of me just saying like, hey, I'm an expert in, in microdosing because I'm not, I just say, hey, listen, I'm not, but here's what I know, right? And if you trust that, then you can start to wage that a little understanding. And so I think that concept of really um, building the ability for teams to be able to understand who's you know, quote, smarter than you in an area and who's trustworthy in an area and who's credible in an area is a really important information set, right? It shouldn't be the loudest person in the room. It should be the person who has the most credibility over time. And then I think that going back to the ego piece, I love the concept. I think it's a Japanese concept. It's the beginner's mind, right? So the expert mind is the person who's like, has to defend their stance because they spent their whole lives, you know, studying a certain type of, you know, martial arts and yep. yeah. And it's the long sword or nothing, man. And, and when this is how we're going to do it, the beginner's mind is just super curious. Right. And you can kind of, if, if, even if you think, you know, a lot, if you can be really curious and like, well, why do you think that? Why do you think that it kind of just like you are, actually, you are very curious about because I've listened to you. And, and I think that that will automatically be able to kind of unveil like, well, how deep is this person, right? How, how credible is this person? How well thought through? Have they gone through enough cycles? And, and plus then it doesn't make you super egotistical because then you're just super curious. So I think for us in our environment, we talk about that mindset all the time of the beginner's mind and how do we kind of always be, we call it above the line, like saying yes and versus no, but and that is a simple tool, but for us, it's, it's fundamental for how we go about work, especially in the innovation place. Yeah. The, you know, I'm extremely black and white, but I'm also not at all because my position will change the more data I know. But after I feel away at the time, it's like my position right now is this, but like, shit, if you've got something else to jump into it and it challenges me for myself, giddy up, you know, but yeah, I just wonder on that, especially when I'm talking to, uh, you know, people my age, I'm 35 now, um, you know, I'm, I feel I'm still, you know, very much beginner mindset for the scale of the world that exists. And, you know, when you, you get in some rooms and you listen to the conversations that are actually being had and you realize I am so next that like I, one of my best mates, he's really smart and he's done really well for himself. He found himself next to the prime minister, the ex prime minister of New Zealand and the ex CEO of the air New Zealand's national airline. So you're literally talking about probably two of the gnarliest brains. And he said he came out of it and goes, dude, like, I know I'm really smart and I know I'm flipping awesome, but I sat there for 45 minutes and I didn't have a flipping clue what was happening. <laughs> it was, it was that, that next level with into and he goes, mate, I've, I've probably never been so humbled ever. Just I'm dumb, but it's not till you see those worlds, you know? And I think, you know, if you don't um, get in the position to see that you can get very quickly, especially when you're, I've seen it more with men than females. That's for sure. Um, obviously, for, for well, just think what you're saying, right? Yeah. You were talking yeah. about having fun too. If you if you find learning fun, right, in other mm. people's perspectives or something you have no idea, like that's a pretty fun thing to do. If every mm. day you're like, I had no idea, versus spending your whole day being like, I'm right, I'm right, listen to me, yeah, right, 
Yeah. So now, but there's uh, a friend of mine, uh, TP Cartney. He's a young sort of Maori business leader, which is like the indigenous sort of crew for New Zealand. And he was saying uh, it was a, a, a other traditional saying. He was saying your, your morals and ethicals you write in pen, but your strategies you write in pencil. And it was saying, you know, it's something along those lines, but basically saying, you know, stand firm on what is right and wrong, but the strategies of how you operate shouldn't be as, as so black and white, I guess. And it's a really smart um, way to think about, you know, your morals and values, pen, strategy, pencil, but it's kind of, it's a different way to meet. I like the idea about the the beginner's mind. Um, if people want to check out, obviously they can go to um, uh, Black Labs, uh, so blacklabsports.com forward slash join. Was that the, the website was there somewhere else they can go check out what you're into what you're up to the high performance summit where can they go what can they do yeah blacklabsports.com is uh, our main site if you want to be more part of our community uh, go to the slash join it's got a small just uh, form to we'll reach out to you to set up a quick call and see if there's a fit um but really it's uh you know keep an eye yeah sign up for our newsletter you know we it's interesting someone we had i had this woman call me the other day this marketing company like hey you're not marketing enough like where's your adwords and like that's not how we go to market, right? This is about uh, creating value. And when, you know, the chief scientist at company AYZ says, wow, this is really valuable to his three friends that are at that same level. That's how we're growing. So um, mm. that's, you know, I think it's kind of, if this is exciting to you and you're turned on by it and you want to learn more, reach out to us. Um, all you need is two chairs in the corner next to the gym set there on, on the big green mat and black lab studios behind it. And then you just interview a weapon brain every week on Facebook live. And I think you'll be, you'll get more than enough out to the world. It's very easy. Yeah. Um, hey, I appreciate your time, brother. I know you're um, a busy man. You've got a lot on best of luck with the, the holiday season and, and all the rest of it. And uh, when next time in Boulder, I'll be stopping back through and come check it out and um, and see the space. It is a very impressive setup. And I remember when I walked in, I, I was just thinking, how do you have all this crazy shit mixed into one and it be so rad? So you've, you've, you've clearly cracked something, which a lot of people would try and say, best of luck with it, JP. I really appreciate your time, brother. Yeah, and um, Thank you. Hope I'll catch you soon. Awesome, mate. I'll see yeah. you soon. Take care. Bye. Later, bro. Bye. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that was JP. Brian, J.P. O'Brien of uh, Black Lab Sports. Very smart man. Very smart man. Uh, this has been Rebecca Hollis, Rebecca Live, Dash Radio, Dash Talk X. Enjoy the day, team. Adios. Peace.